0: And welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. You can follow me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY and on Facebook at Jake Novak, uh, N-O-V-A-K. And, you know, I've been thinking about this topic for a long time. And then this morning, Sunday morning, I saw in the paper in Newsday on Long Island a, a, a headline that just sort of continued to hammer home what I've been thinking about for a long time about... The millennial generation and people younger than millennials. Uh, again, to specifically describe it, they we basically consider people between the ages of eighteen and thirty five to be the millennial generation. Um, so that age group, of course, that's a lot of people. Um, and then there's people just a little bit younger than that who I think are kind of following in their footsteps for better or for worse. And the headline on in the Long Island newspaper, the the Newsday newspaper, was that that uh, younger people, those millennial people, are getting priced out of Long Island. They can't afford the housing prices, they can't afford the taxes, and they're not able to live on the island. Um, Before I talk about the generation, and I talk about just this being one of the latest issues that is concerning me, and again, I think another issue where Israel and the way the Israeli society grows up offers such an important, stark contrast is is very much in this issue um but before i get into that i do want to say something about the housing and the taxes uh on long island because that's important um as much as some of us might want to blame it on generational things and stuff like that uh we do have a supply and demand issue again as i've said many times here on novak now uh whenever the price of something is too high whenever you want to call it whether it's the tuition of, of a college whether it's a price of a home or anything, or any price at all, we have to have the discussion, or healthcare, we have to have the discussion about supply and demand. If anybody comes to you, or any politician in particular, but also a so-called pundit or, or supposedly expert journalist, or anyone who comes to you and says, well, I want to talk to you about the high price of X, and then they don't talk about supply and demand, stop listening to them. If they don't mention the law of supply and demand within the first 30 seconds, it's really not worth listening to what they have to say. I'm sorry to say that, I don't mean to be rude, but the price of everything is determined by supply and demand. And yes, government and other powers that be can get involved and, and fool around with that law of supply and demand. Um, usually government fools around with supply. They don't really usually force demand so much. They're not so good at that, but they're very, very good at screwing around with the with the, with the supply of of certain things. And keeping them more expensive than they should be, and then they uh, and and that's when things get kind of messed up. But other things can mess up the supply and the demand, or push one or the other up or down. And until you discuss that, you really can't discuss anything about pricing. So we have a demand, we have a supply problem here on Long Island, which the article, the long article in Newsday, did discuss. You have a number of communities here on Long Island, my own included, that don't have enough multi-use housing or larger apartment buildings or numbers of apartment buildings available. And some of that is just, again, to be blunt, I don't mean to be rude, some of that is just sheer stupidity on behalf of the communities that don't want to allow apartment buildings in, in their areas or apartment complexes. They think it brings in a lower income group of people, which may be true from how much income literally they're making, but as far as their net worth especially when you consider their families in general or their earning power, uh, you know they, they could actually be quite richer than they appear to be. Um, a lot of other communities, not, this isn't just a Long Island thing, but it's certainly something that happens on Long Island. A lot of communities also don't allow multi-use. So if you have a let's say an immigrant Asian family that wants to open an Asian restaurant downstairs and live upstairs so they can cut back on their costs of housing and in their business, that isn't allowed. You'd be surprised at how many neighborhoods on Long Island don't allow that. Um, To me, this would be the hardest working people that you would want in in your downtown, especially in your downtown area, but in your town. I, I want people like that to move to my town. And to basically discourage them from doing that and saying, yeah, if you want to own a business and actually live near this business, which usually takes many, many hours to operate like a restaurant, which is a grueling, grueling business, you're going to have to live 20 minutes away just to add to your sorrows. If you can't afford one of the expensive homes here, too bad. Uh, and that to me is, is another problem. So I do, I do think that this isn't just a generational thing. I think this is a, when it comes to housing, on the housing issue. I think this is something that, I think the prices are abnormally, abnormally high, like they would be in any situation, because there's more demand than there is supply. That's why there's, that's why they, we have this issue. And this is a case where governments, local governments, and in, of course our national government as well, our federal government as well, it, it, it isn't as easy to build housing in this country as it should be. I don't think it should be without any rules at all. This is not an all or nothing proposition coming from Novak now. <laughs> Uh, it's just, it's too hard. You, you want to build a nice apartment complex on Long Island in some of these towns that don't have them. And you're really facing a, sometimes an impossible battle to win, which is why if you are familiar with Long Island near the nicer mall area, which is Roosevelt Field Mall, they built several years ago, these, these condo communities and when they built them on this highly trafficked area, which, which wasn't very walkable, I thought to myself, who would want to live there? And then, of course, it shows how much I know about predicting a market. It was oversubscribed like that. And I guess I should have known, because I, I, I jumped to a conclusion there looking at the location, I should have known. That smaller, nicer apartments and condos on Long Island are so rare that even though this is in a high traffic area, there isn't a lot of walkability outside of the complex. Inside the complex, they have a nice spa and they have a nice fitness center and things like that. And I assume they have some places where you can go buy something, maybe a, a, you know, a bottle of milk or something, a, a carton of milk or something. But there's just so not enough of that on Long Island that uh, anything that looked nice and was built nicely was going to get a huge amount of demand, and it did. Uh, and we need more of that on Long Island. We need more of that in a lot, and this isn 't just a long island thing this isn 't a uh, this isn 't uh, Jake Novak on Novak now exhibiting that very, very strong bias of geographic bias and the bubble of New York on Novak now. This is something that is nationwide an issue. Um, if you want to learn about how this is a nationwide issue and not just a New York thing, I strongly urge you to follow a website called StrongTowns.org. It's one word, StrongTowns.org, and run by an urban planner named Charles Marin, and it sounds boring. Boy, an urban planning website. Can't wait to look at that. But the pictures and the ideas expressed on that website every day are really quite brilliant, and they really help explain a lot of the issues in this country as far as our housing is concerned, as far as our transportation is concerned, Um, there's, just recently, there was a discussion also about certain neighborhoods in, around the country where massive highways have been built, and how that has really kind of changed our quality of life in America. I'm a huge fan of walkability as much as possible, no matter how old or young you are. And of course, this becomes a bigger issue as you get older, because older people can't drive around as much. I mean, and, and a lot of older people will get to that point where they're not allowed to drive at all. And if they can't get to a store and can't get to a doctor and can't get to a public transportation, a mass transit site, then that becomes a real problem. You know, we wonder why some people move into these communities when they, maybe they wanted to stay in their home. Well, you know, it's because they can't get around. And this, for a lot of people listening, may be something that you completely are familiar with, but it's amazing to me how many young people my age, and I'm not that so young anymore. I'm, I'm way older than a millennial, let's put it that way. How many people who are, you know, under 50 don't really understand these kinds of issues unless they have parents or have lived with you know, people like this themselves. And it's one of the benefits that I had growing up with so many elderly people over, my, over the course of my lifetime. A lot of the communities I've lived in were heavily populated by elderly people. So I'm kind of used to some of this stuff, and, I, and it makes a lot of sense to me. But some people, I guess it doesn't. But anyway, this, this front page of Newsday on Sunday, September 8th, was all about how millennials are not able to stay on Long Island – they also mentioned that there isn't much of a nightlife here. Again, I concur. I think that only places like Long Beach, a little bit like Rockville Center, a little bit, and then, of course, the Hamptons offer that kind of single life. I mean, they call it nightlife. But that means, you know, listen, it's singles who go out every night. <laughs> Married couples don't tend to do that so much. Uh, and so I, I think all of that is true. But, but, but the big problem I think we're facing, and I'm seeing this with the millennial generation, and I'm also seeing seeds of it with younger people, is a theme that remains constant through a lot of things and if it were if it we're just housing i would stick to the discussion that i br- that i began the program with which is this supply and demand issue but it's not just that it's not just that i am seeing a lack of participation in the general what i'll call it the buy-in buying into societal norms whether it's buying a home whether it's getting married whether it's having kids, and whether it's getting involved in investing of any kind, not just buying a home. And I'm seeing a determined, decided downturn in that for the millennial generation compared to the generation before when they were of a similar age. And I do think I know some of the reasons for it, and I do think I know what some of the ramifications are. And I also think that Israel, once again, provides a pretty good, sharp contrast to that, compared to the United States. So again, it's not just homes. It's also marriage. And we're hearing similar excuses for why marriage is down among millennials. Now, they'll say something along the lines of, well, this millennial generation is growing up with a lot of student loans. People don't want to get married and consolidate their massive loans to, loan debt together so they don't feel like they can get married, which You know, I I can understand the argument of you not wanting to have two people who owe a lot of money together, I get it. But when no matter how big or small your debt is, having two people together to work at it and take a whack at it makes things it makes it easier in general. And if somebody says to you, look, I don't want to marry you because of your student loans, or I don't want to marry you because of my student loans, I got I got a little bit of a tip for you, you can write this down. They weren't just that they just weren't that into you. (laughs) Okay? Student loans is not a reason to or not to get married. If someone is using that excuse, uh, they're not telling you the truth. If someone is using that excuse for why they're not getting involved in life, why they're not moving out of their parents' house, or why they're not getting married or doing all kinds of other things, I can understand it. Again, student loans, major, major millstone around the necks of a lot of people. Some of the amounts of these student loans are absolutely shocking. Shockingly high. But... You know, to me, that should be more of an incentive to get out there and to make and to really scrap to try to get that student loan taken care of and try to achieve more. And I think it's getting people out there to, to work, maybe, but not necessarily, maybe they feel like they can't take the kinds of risks that are required sometimes to be a success. I mean, a lot of the times. But again, it's risk that I'm seeing decidedly going on the downturn, a downtick in risk among younger people. Marriage being one thing. Let's forget the student loans for us. Even for people who don't have student loans, (laughs) marriage is on the downturn for this generation. The buying of homes is on the downturn for this generation. And I think the idea of investing is on the downturn as well. And each one of those things, let's be honest, each one of those things, the the common denominator in all of them is is risk. It's risky risky to buy a home. I've bought two homes in my lifetime. And it's, it's a little scary going through those closings. I mean, it's very rare when you sit there and you're like, boy, I know this is going to be a huge moneymaker for me. I know I'm always going to make enough money so that I'll never have to, for, this home will never be foreclosed. Very few people in America have that luxury. It's, it's a risky thing. It's a little scary, especially with home prices being what they are in the New, in the New York area. So it's, it, there, there's a risk involved. And anyone who tells you there's no risk involved, then you know, they're not really that knowledgeable or they're not being honest with you. Marriage, you know, looks listen, you can feel 100% certain about a partner, and I hope you do if you're in a relationship, but marriage is risky also. Even if you're not really talking about a compatibility thing, it's, it's a risky proposition. You are making a commitment to somebody, presumably for a lifetime, I would hope, that that's, you know, the intention of everyone getting married. I hope they're not getting married thinking, I'll do this for a few years. I think celebrities do that. I think celebrities absolutely think of marriages as, like, a role they'll take on for a decade or so. I really do. Um, it's funny. We talk about all the things that threaten traditional marriage in this country, and there is nothing, in my opinion, more threatening to traditional marriage than celebrity marriage. <laughs> Celebrities out you know, in the news every single day make a mockery of marriage and commitment, and I wonder about the young kids who read about celebrity marriages and divorces and marriages and divorces and breakups and divorces and the whole thing, and I wonder what that does to them as far as their feelings about the, 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 the eternity or the, import, the importance of marriage. To me, that's the real threat and has always been a threat because, sadly, it's it's very it's heavily covered in the news media. Like Divorce is one thing, and, and people, especially kids who live through it, I, I understand that there's a lot of scarring there, emotional scarring there. But, boy, the news media, the entertainment media is pretty, pretty strong and pretty, pretty pervasive in this country, and they cover celebrity marriages and divorces. I mean, that's, that's their bread and butter. I mean, if it weren't for celebrity marriages and divorces, you wouldn't have a lot of celebrity news in this country. Right? So, it's... To me, that, that, that's a little bit of an issue. But listen, marriage is a risk. And one of the other things that's a risk, by definition, is capitalism. Investing and, 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 and the free markets and all that stuff is risk by definition. You can't make money for real in a capitalist system, in a real capitalist system, unless you're taking risk. And there's different levels of risk, and there's, and there's calculated risk, and there is completely going into things blindly. Of course, there's, there are different levels of risk and there's, and there's intelligent and not-so-intelligent risk and all that kind of stuff, but it's still risky. So millennials on all three of those things, whether it's buying a home, and I, I understand that buying a home and capitalism are, 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 are quite related, but, but, but for the purposes of this edition of Novak Now here in the Nalchem-Siegel Network, please bear with me and let me separate those two. And the reason why I want to do that is because for a lot of people, hopefully most people when they're buying a home it isn't really an investment this is the home that they're going to live in this is the life that they want to live they hope that their home will be a good investment in the long run but if you're buying a home and only thinking about how it's going to make money over the years and not how you're going to enjoy or not enjoy living it or how convenient it'll be for you for school work and life then again that should be an investment property not the place that you live and a lot of most people in america will never have an investment property they'll just they'll have the home that they live in. So I want to keep that separate from capitalism and, and, and investing and entrepreneurship. I mean, I'll, I'll do this. I'll say capitalism slash entrepreneurship, so it's, a, you know, it's much more of a different category. And then things like marriage. And then things like going out on your own, which I, which I would also kind of put in the same category as marriage. All those things are on the downturn for millennials and younger in America right now. And that disturbs me greatly. It disturbs me greatly because for I think thousands of years we have known that people having skin in the game in their community, whether it's in today's terms like buying a home, having skin in the game of being a part of a society and a social construct where people are responsible to each other and committed to one another, like marriage, which you know, marriage is a big part of. These are important things. And having people who are willing to take entrepreneurial Investment type risks. These are all very important things. The things we've known for thousands of years. I think we've known for thousands of years that these are very, very important for societies to be to flourish. When you take these things away, when there's no marriage and everyone is just hopping from one home to another, hopping from one relationship to another, that leads to a confused public, an angry public, uh, a totally disconnected public, and it also leads to kind of pre- to uh, to to irresponsible behavior of all kinds. You know, ask any insurance actuary why married men have a longer life expectancy than unmarried men. And they'll give you a lot of the reasons, but many of those reasons have to do with the responsibility and the and, and, and just the, the better way of life 90% of married men are going to have compared to 90% of unmarried men. It's always going to be exceptions. And in this case, the, the exceptions in the aggregate will be large, but percentage-wise, you live a more healthy life as a married man than an unmarried, unmarried man in this country and in most of the world. And the same thing with buying homes. You have to have people who, you know, if you wanna have a community, if you want people who are gonna buy and sell each other's homes over the, over the period of, of, of generational shift, then you need that to happen. Otherwise, we're all, the, all of us who are older than the millennial generation are gonna be unable to sell our homes and they're gonna be really stuck for all the reasons that I mentioned earlier. They're going to be stuck. They may not even be able to get around if they stay in a community that doesn't have walkability and and accessibility for older people. And investment in entrepreneurship is so, so very important for a lot of reasons. But the reason why these things are on the downtick is because risk has become a really, really scary thing, more than it was... It's always scary. Risk, Risk is, you know, is a scary thing by definition, but it's much more scary for this younger generation. And why is that? And I think... We really know the answer to this question because whether you're living in New York City or in the suburbs of New York City or in the Midwest or in the South or the West, we are now on to our second generation of children right now who are living a much less risky lifestyle, a much less independent lifestyle than anybody who's listening to me who's over the age I would say 40 and over. I'm 48 years old and I grew up with unsupervised play. I grew up riding my bike a couple miles away from the house or for hours at a time. No specific, there was no cell phone, no one to no one call me to tell me to come home. I just knew that when it got kind of dark, it was time to come home. And most American kids for generations and generations and generations lived this way. And we all know there were some horror stories involved with that. Anything could go wrong at any time. But today's kids don't live like that. They don't have unsupervised play. They don't have an unsupervised life. It goes well beyond that Toddler to teenage uh, period of, of unsupervised play, it also gets into the college years right now. I mean, do you know any kid who fills out their own college application by themselves by themselves without parental parents doing it with you i mean the the whole college choice and college experience right now is very much a shared experience between the parents and the children and there are some things that are good about that, but it absolutely has no longer this absolutely, this mat the part of an important maturation process in this country. It's no longer that. When I grew up in, in, and again, I, I grew up about most of my childhood, not in the New York City area, but I was living in the South and the kids, there were kids who were living on my block, obviously older, who were paying their own way through college and had jobs. Who does that now? Who pays their own way through college now? I mean, I don't care what college you're going to. It's very rare. It's very rare. And That, of course, delays the age of adulthood in this country, and it's a yet another aspect of risk that gets delayed in the lives of our kids. Our kids right now are growing up with a much later date of ever having to take on any kind of real responsibility for themselves. They are living a supervised life from the minute they wake up to the time that they go to sleep. And even then they're washing, they've got the baby monitors and some people even keep them in their kids' rooms long past infanthood, infancy. And we've come to this point now, where we're getting to the point where 20 to 25 to even older adults are never actually in a situation where they've ever been really truly unsupervised. So no wonder they're feeling risk averse. They've been... Shoot away from and sheltered from any kind of risk for a long time. And by the way, this even includes some aspects of recreational drug use. I can't tell you how many parents I know who tell me about how well they wanted to. They they decided that they were going to watch their kids try marijuana for the first time. They gave them some edible marijuana, or they watched over. And I'm not talking about people in the middle of nowhere. I'm talking about modern Orthodox Jewish families. I've had parents tell me this. Yeah, you know, we we, we had that we, we we watched them smoke pot because we wanted to make sure that it was okay, and we knew they wanted to try it. I mean, I'm not saying I don't endorse <laughs> just smoking pot at any age, supervised or, or not supervised. But it's just amazing to me how we've come to this point now where everything is just supervised. I mean, I, I mean, really, are we going to go back to ancient times now, where someone would you know sort of be a witness to to yehud? You know, when, when the bride and the groom are together privately, I mean, really, wh- wh- where are we going with this? But where I, I can tell you where we're going is we're going to a... We, we've created an entire generation, the millennial generation, that for the most part is very, very risk-averse. And one of the ways that you can prove this rule is by the exceptions. Now, the statistics show that there's a, high, there's a larger number, just a general number, of millennials who are millionaires and billionaires than Gen X people who are millionaires and billionaires. And to me, that's not a surprise because a huge amount of being very successful in our society is beating out a competition, is really standing out among your peers. And so for the few fewer, there's there's less competition among millennials for entrepreneurial type stuff than older generation people. So if you are someone who's on the ball and is willing to take the risk as a millennial, your chances of success are higher. And that's why I think there are more millennial, millionaires, and billionaires. So, but again, the exception proves the rule, which is there are just, we have an entirely risk averse younger generation in this country. So, what are we getting in this country as a result from a political standpoint and from an economic standpoint? We are, of course, of course, an entire generation of millennials, 18 to 35, of course, they are going to be more receptive to ideas that are like or are just plain socialist. Socialism, in the way that it's, representative po- folks is a no-risk type society. No one can make too little. No one can make too much. No one goes hungry. I mean, all these things we know because we know the real socialist societies don't actually work this way. Whether you're Venezuela or Cuba or the old Soviet Union, that kind of stuff, we know that that's not how it worked out, that there was still t- tremendous poverty. There was tremendous lack of spirit and soul. And for those of you who want to stand up and say, oh, but what about those great countries like Denmark and Sweden? Denmark and Sweden, whatever successes they've had with socialism, have come from the capitalist parts of their society that they maintained, even under a so-called socialist, overall socialist society. And by the way, countries like Denmark and Sweden are getting more capitalist by the day because they know that the more socialist their policies were in the past, the more failure their society suffered through. But of course, this younger generation, it isn't that they're stupid. You know, a lot of us are writing off all the millennials who support Bernie Sanders or or Elizabeth Warren and and all the other socialist stuff. We're writing them off as being stupid. But I don't think it's stupidity. I don't think it's a lack of mental powers or even education, although I do think education has absolutely taken a step down. But I don't think that's the reason why they're so receptive to socialism. I think it's because they've been risk-averse, and they've been brought up to fear risk and to avoid risk as much as possible, even through their early adulthood years, getting into their middle adulthood years. And so, of course, they like an idea, a socialist idea, that says no risk, whether that's true or not. They're going to be more receptive to that kind of an idea. But what do we have in Israel? Now, listen. The, the, the mamas in Israel are just as protective of their kids, if not more, than here in the United States. I'm not saying that you don't have protective parents in Israel, but ultimately, with the exception of certain member, parts of the society, ultimately, the acculturated people in Israel, whether they're modern Orthodox, a little bit more Orthodox than that, or completely secular, secular, you know what's going to happen to their kids, is that when they hit 17, they're going to the army. And that's the end of coddling, and that's the end of no more... Uh, super that's the end of supervision from mom and dad all the time and that's it that's that's when you're going to grow up and that's when you're going to find out what risk is all about what's a valuable risk all that kind of stuff and so what do you have in israel whereas in the united states younger people have almost always and certainly it's true now tend to be more liberal or in this case more socialist in israel the younger generation is actually more politically conservative. Than the general population and less socialist than the general population and this to me is not a mystery whatsoever because the younger generation in israel is not brought up for very long without having a significant amount of risk introduced into their lives it's an un it's it's, it's a you know it's just an accepted fact that that's going to happen we're here in the united states We have younger people getting older and older without ever really having to accept the the reality of risk in life. Which, by the way, is going to come sooner or later. You might as well start training your kids properly. And again, in a responsible way. But you might as well start training your kids responsibly to be ready for some kind of risk before it's too late. Before it's too late. Because it can get too late. You can end up becoming somebody like Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who hasn't faced risk in her life. You know, one of the reasons why she was able to work as a bartender is because she had a wealthy family. She had an apartment that her, her deceased father gave to her. She was able to live that life because risk was minimized for her in a big way. And that's why she doesn't quite understand a lot of things. It's not because she's stupid. She's not stupid. I don't think she's stupid. I think that she just hasn't had the kind of childhood that she should have had. And an adolescence and a college period that she should have had. Because we are coddling people from risk way too much. There's a responsible way to do it. I'm not saying throw your kids into traffic. But we have to get there. And that is another thing, another thing that Israel does better than we do. This has been Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.